0: Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and I'm here to introduce the next episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. In this particular episode, this was one that I recorded a few months back, but have not published yet. And I'm so glad I held on to it, because as I was going back through my notes and re-listening to the interview, and guys, there's just so much good information um, that our guest on this particular episode is going to share with you. So I hope that you get a chance to check it out. Uh, a couple things before we get into the interview that I want you to be aware of. Uh, first, if you're listening to this, um, we've expanded to many platforms around Google Play and Stitcher and Spotify and we've always been on iTunes. and you know, reach out, let me know where you're listening. To the podcast, from leave the comments and reviews, you know, really trying to get this to take off for people to come across the ideas being shared in this podcast. And I know everybody asks that in all their podcasts, but um, I, I'm really starting to see the the, the need and um, necessity of, of getting that, that, that awareness out there. Second, when you listen to this podcast, we're going to be discussing Tara's book, Code Equity. And I actually have two extra copies that I'm going to be giving away over in the full stack learner. um, Slack channel. And so for those that don't know, I've created a Slack channel for educators who are interested in computer science and STEM and makerspace and, and, and learning space design and that kind of thing. It's a safe space. It's a place for us to ask questions. It's a place for educators who feel siloed to come together to help one another so we realize we don't have to do this work alone. And so in a couple months, we will be using that book along with a small little fun maker challenge to give those two copies away. So if you listen to the interview today, I hope you take time to check out her book. And if you're interested in winning a copy, make sure you go and check out the full stack learner community. I'll put the link in the show notes for you to check that out. And without further ado, let's get into this interview. This is a very timely interview, a very important topic when we start to talk about equity and STEM encoding. In particular for females and also minorities. And Terra does a phenomenal job, both in her book and in this interview, helping us understand how we can start to break down some of these barriers. So let's jump into it. I'm so excited to hear from you. Hope you enjoy this episode. Let me know what your thoughts and takeaways were, and let's get into the action. Hey, 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 hey. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs. Me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, going insane. Listening to coffee chugs, I can't be One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how are you doing? This is Coffee Chug and we are here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast where we are trying to push the boundaries of education and get people to see different ways and actually see that A lot of the talk happening in the education circles can actually happen, and in this particular episode, I am super excited to be speaking with the guest. Uh, I just finished reading her book, and she is writing and and talking and doing a lot of work about a a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And so before we jump into the book and and talk about the issues that she's bringing to light, um, let's you know, kind of bring her to the stage here. And so, Tara, um, if we could start, maybe you can just kind of tell everybody who you are and uh, what you do.
1: Definitely. So, my name is Tara Linney. I am a, um, I'm in the middle of a transition. So, I'm an ed tech coach over at Singapore American School, which is in Singapore, which is in um, Asia. It's not in China. <laughs> and um, <laughs> this summer, I'm actually moving to Paris to work as a, in a similar role at the American School of Paris.
0: That's awesome, and so how did you even get involved in this international thing? Because I know when we were trying to connect to Skype, and um, I was like, "Oh, 13-hour time zone. How are we ever going to pull this off?" So how did you find yourself? Because you were you were in Washington D.C., right? I was looking on, on yeah. your website, and I think, and then you were in Illinois for a little bit, and now here you are in Singapore, and then on your way to Paris. How in the world have you gotten involved in this <laughs> this, this global reach of uh, of coaching for education?
1: Yeah. So um, I've been in education. This is year eight, going on year nine, I believe. And um, this is actually a second or third career for me, depending upon how you define a career. So I used to work in nonprofit. And before that, I worked in event marketing. Um, And my bachelor's degree is actually in public relations. So um, when I first began teaching, I was... I was in the classroom, third grade teacher, then technology teacher, then tech coach and coordinator, Um, but to answer your question of how I got international, it was, I don't want to call it a fluke, because I don't think anything is really a fluke, but it was just like a very serendipitous moment where I knew that I was going to leave my school, and was on Twitter, and I favored a tweet, and then I respond to the tweeter, and then um, I apply, and... Six weeks later, I get the job, and <laughs> almost the exact same thing happened with Paris, except um, it was a lot more direct communication and not so much having to apply first. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's yeah. amazing. I know it feel like we're always being told, build your global connection and collaboration and using social media for good. Like, we, I mean, we almost to the point where we almost kind of throw up in our mouth a little bit when we hear that. But time and time again, it proves how powerful it can be um, and still how many people – don't do it. Like it's, it's surprisingly how many people, especially in education avoid it. And it's like, there's so many opportunities just sitting right there. Um, you know, so that's, that's fantastic. So you mentioned, this was, this is also like your second, third, fourth career in terms of, of getting an education. How did you transition over that? Because I feel like there's, there's more and more of that happening. Like the more I talk with educators, it feels like there's more people going, I was in the business sector or I was here doing this and, I feel like this is my calling. So um, how did, what was your, your aha moment where you felt like, oh my gosh, I've got to get into education?
1: <laughs> um, so the first aha moment was when I was five years old and I had an a great kindergarten teacher who called a parent-teacher conference because my butterfly was not curvy. <laughs> I'm like okay. Oh, hey, well, I'm going to be better than you were. Um, but then my the aha moment that led to me actually getting into education was um, working for the American Cancer Society, mm. and um, it's a great organization, and I love volunteering for them. It's just a little, it plays with your insides a little bit when you go from volunteering for a nonprofit and then you work for one where it becomes all about the funding and the fundraising yeah. versus volunteering. You can see the difference that you're making. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah,
0: that's, that's, uh, that's really fascinating. And I know when I was in preschool. I, I got in trouble. Um, they called my mother because I colored a, a cow red and not brown. So I was being uh, disobedient. So I can I can completely uh, relate there to uh, your education career uh, sparking what uh, what not to do. And so now that you're in education, yeah, I, I came across. I've read your book. You just recently came out with the book, Code Equity. Um, I know people can't see the screen, but I'm holding it up. And um, but we'll have links in the show notes. And I I've I love this book. I feel like like this is the work that I've been like wrapping around in my head, but have not had. I couldn't figure out a way. I blog about it. I, I talk STEM and coding, but I can never structure it in a way that flows. And I'm like, yes. Like I just kept like nodding my head in this in this book, especially having two daughters of my own. And so, in here, your your book is looking at getting girls involved in, it, in the coding. And so, how did you come from that journey? You know, you you moved from the one sector in education, then from education now really looking at at at, at the equity piece. How did you get involved in coding? How did you get involved in STEM and then really figuring out, like, I've got to be a voice to help kind of bridge this this, this gap that, that currently exists? And um, even though I think things are getting better, there's still a ton of work to be done.
1: Most definitely. So um, the coding movement for me started um, when the Hour of Code first happened about five years ago. And I was in Washington, D.C., and um, right after the Hour of Code that year, we had a blogging club, and it was kind of like losing its memento, and um, working at an all-girls school, it's like you gotta keep them engaged, um, especially when they're in a, a ward or a district that has 30% unemployment, mm. um, which is really, really high. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so who knows like what they're doing outside of school, but um, as an after-school club, I had the blogging club, and then transformed that into the coding club. And the girls just loved it. I mean, it was the right mix of challenging and fun and allowed them to, like, really, like, converse with one another and, like, grow and learn. And it was great. Um, What led to the book was actually coming to Singapore and starting up a coding club where there were 24 boys who signed up and one girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and that girl was bullied by some of the boys in the club because she actually knew more than they did. So it was like this whole confidence, like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was not fun.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. And you know, unfortunately, you see more, you see that. I mean, that that play out of a of a club or interest in this stuff or a twenty-four to one ratio. You know, is unfortunately not not uh, very. Uh, Uncommon. I mean, you see it more and more, and you're trying to build that gap and tr- trying to bridge that through. And so what have been some things that you have found that, that has helped kind of balance the, the system? You know, as you get a chance to, to speak and work with other schools and, and things that you've done yourselves, what have been some things in which you've been able to kind of, you know – Maybe it's not so much the idea of less boys but more girls because, I mean, it's important to have all those things. But how do you get that balance where more girls start to realize, like, oh, one, I can do this. Two, oh, my gosh, I actually – I kind of enjoy this. And then three, like, oh, my gosh, even more important, like, this actually could fit into a career that I'm interested in and I didn't even realize it. Like, what have been some ways – because I think, you know, as we – like as educators listening in i think a lot of people will go yes that's something that we want to fix like not just coding but just in general building up the 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 the, the power structure to empower girls to get out and do more um but like but the question always comes to like that how piece like well what does that look like how do i go about doing that
1: Well, one of the first steps is having equitable opportunities um, for both boys and girls. And so in coding, just like in a lot of STEM subjects, we always rely on the boys. Um, The people who teach these subjects tend to, more often than not, be boys. Well, not boys, but men. (laughs) And so when it comes to those classes, it's like seeing, well, what examples do girls have to look up to if throughout their entire K-12 education, every teacher that they have in science, math, technology, whether it be coaches or teachers, if they're all men, they don't see anybody like them. And that's for 12 years, 13 years, right? Yeah. So there's that visual aspect, number one. Number two is, when we're in our classes, we need to remember that we have different people that, different types of pupils, right? And some of our students, they are the first ones to answer a question, they're always right, they just have, I've read article over article over article about how um, even in college courses, like the men are the ones who pop their hands up and they're like, this is the right answer. Even when it's not. And it's having that, like, (laughs) right? And so, but you don't really see that with women. Like, women will wait until they're fully qualified for a job before they'll even apply for it. Um, So it's building up that confidence in girls that, okay, you may not have this yet, but you need to have that iterative mindset and that confidence that you will get there. And I think for girls, especially if they see in their female teachers that, um, maybe come into a challenge if they're not like calling on help right away or like giving up altogether. And if the teacher, whether it be male or female can model that iterative mindset, then the student is more likely to pick up on it. Um, and, and giving enough wait time to allow the girl to think through how she's going to respond to something is very important.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I know something that, like, I've been trying in my, so I have a non-profit that I run on nights and weekends on top of my, my day job, and, mm-hmm. and and in there I've got, I'm not quite 50-50 with, with, with the girls in my coding class, but we keep getting more girls, which is exciting. Um, but the one particular class, there's one girl in there, um, just the way the, the, the kids' schedules work, and she always talks about how much she hates being the only girl, and I'm always just like, I'm... I'm trying to figure this out, you know. Like, if you could just come to the other session, there's, there's, there's four girls. You'd be much, but you know, but um, but it's, but it's interesting too because even because this is a group of like from like third through eighth grade, and so she obviously notices because she makes the comment. But you know, like it's, it's an interesting dynamic of outside the school day because the the boys and girls really they don't care once they get to the work like but i'm always interested like but in the school it's a whole different feel right like when there's a class of 25 there's many more factors at play like these kids all know they're coming to this space it's a safe space to talk code and and minecraft you know what i mean like they know they're all, they're they're among their own and i always try to figure out like how do you build this sense of comfort where they could embrace who they are in that school setting um and that always to me seems to be be that challenged, um, you know, the thing that you were working on. You talked to in the book, to, like, like the ask three before me, you know, which I which we've seen before. I was reading that I was like, oh, I know this, but one of the things that I thought was really fascinating that you mentioned there was like of those three people, one has to be the opposite gender, and I just thought that was it seems so duh, like so obvious. At the same time, it was also like an aha moment, you know. Um, for girls to ask boys, but also for boys to ask girls to realize, you know, that like the gender doesn't define like what our ability level is, which um, I think was was really, really a key insight for me. I think, and that's a tip that I think is something that any teacher could easily implement into their classroom. Even if you're not even teaching coding, how do we build this equity of a voice and an agency in that classroom? You know, as, as you were going through your book and I know you're doing all sorts of research and digging into things, um, are the, have you come across other little tips or tricks, you know, as you think about teachers that, that could maybe start that, you know, little, little elements like that ask three before me, but one has to be opposite um, gender person that you're talking to. Like, are there other things that you have covered or found out that you're like, this works really well, at least to start the the movement of building some some equity, you know, in these education settings?
1: Most definitely. Um, so I've in working as a coach, I do this a lot um, in terms of working with teachers to ensure that there's that equitable approach whenever we do robotics competitions and things like that. Um, So when you're creating teams of students, whether it be in robotics or whether it be in coding, making sure that it's based not on genders, like, okay, it's going to be boys against girls, because that's always fair. Um, (laughs) But instead, doing it based on like student personality type. So like, if your students are quiet or if they're a certain type of learner, having those students together so that the quiet students are not taken over by the loud students. Um, and then also, whenever like you're doing pair programming, being very intentional. So not drawing sticks and saying, all right, Johnny, you're with Paul, and Jerry, you're with Tommy. But instead, instead of leaving it up to chance, pre-planning and having girls with boys, Mm. And strategizing that out so that people who don't normally work together are working together. Because a lot of the problems in the tech world right now in terms of jobs are that – and jobs in general – are that people hire people who are like them, right? Right. And so, like, if you've got a whole bunch of, like, Caucasian males that are in these leadership roles, they're going to hire – like, hires like. Yeah. And if they never worked with somebody from a different culture or a different gender to a good duration of time – they don't see that possibility they don't see that potential in them right so if we're not exposing students in education like while they're with us what do they have to look forward to when they get older
0: yeah i think that's 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 so it's it's so important you know and i think in there you had a quote in the book from cheryl sandberg um which i know i feel like i've i've referenced more times in the last couple of years than ever, and I saw it. I was like, it's it's so it's so important. Where she says in there, um, um, the hard to imagine is something you can't see, and I had this even myself like in in, the non, in my nonprofit. I have these high school kids that will come in and volunteer, and I finally had a female uh, student that was coming in into the coding class, and um, and she was like, I don't know anything about coding. I'm like it doesn't even matter. Like we just I just need you here as like nudging these kids to keep going, like and just have them talk to you about, like, they'll solve their own problem, and but, I like, but it, you don't understand, like, how powerful y- your presence is right now, and so um, she came into the space, and the the girls just, like, could not get enough of her, um, you know, and I'm like, okay, so how do I, how do I find more females so it's not just a tall, bald, ugly, white, middle-class guy, like, you know what I mean, like, like, I'm passionate about it, I'm trying to make it work, but I've also, like, I'm also that stereotype of that, you know, and like, I'm not trying to hold it against me, but I also realize like you have to leverage the forces. And so, as as we as we think about moving into like school administrators or or trying to get this next generation of of, of leaders, especially like female leaders or um, minority leaders, to come up and just be present, like, how do you how do you start how do you start those conversations, or or what are things that you have done to help people see it? Because I think like even here in Iowa, like we'll talk about that we have those issues but i don't know that everybody truly understands that it's an issue if if that makes sense like it's like well everybody talks a good game and i think they have well intentions but no one's doing anything to shift or provide those opportunities and it's like that i don't even know how to go about Leading that or moving that needle um, and so I don't know if you've come across any of that kind of stuff in in your work or, or those conversations to get it started um, because I think it's going to have to be a grassroots effort um, because the people in charge if they're not if it's not their passion they're not going to do anything about it because their plates are full with other things um, that they view important so so what have you found or what are some things that you have done to kind of create this spark of, of catalyst because we know that we need it?
1: Um well, I think a, a couple of big things. So I've done like uh, just random Twitter chats. I've done um, like webinars and things like that around the topic and spoken at conferences. and um, what was very interesting was during the Kickstarter campaign back between Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, there was only pushback from two people. and one was not even included in like the tweets that were going out. He was like, it should be coding for all. And it's like, you're right. You are exactly right. It should be coding for all. However, we can't even start talking about all when we have this equity issue. And then people confuse the word equity with equality. So treat everybody the same. Well, you can't treat everybody the same if not everybody starts off on the same playing field. Um, So that's where the equity piece comes into play. And the graphic that's in the preface of the book definitely, um, I think, is very, we have to be mindful of. Um, so understanding that, like, what's what do we want more of, equality or equity? Do we want to give people what they need to be successful? Or do we want to treat everybody the same because they're already there?
0: Right, right.
1: And for schools, definitely, like, um, especially high school administrators and just administrators overall, looking at what your graduation rates are, looking at your student body and who's taking those A.P. computer science. Um, tests and exams and everything and who's taking those courses if you don't have a single girl in your courses by the time they get into high school that means that something happened like back in middle school or elementary that has prevented them and if you're hiring all men to be tech coaches that's another problem Um, one thing that is super easy, and free um, there's a program called Technovation Challenge which has been around for I guess about eight to 10 years, Um, and it's this international program, and what's really cool, I just had a high school team actually compete in this, um, is that it's purpose-driven coding, so only girls can participate. Um, What happens is they have to find a problem within their community that relates to um, the the sustainable development goals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they create the market plan. um, They create the business plan. They make the video and they make the app that solves whatever this problem is. I had two high school girls finish that and submit their entry for the um, competition just last week. And what's really cool is that they had no coding experience before they got started in January. But because they had purpose behind what they were doing, they were totally into it. Self-directed. It was I mean, just incredible.
0: That's awesome, and that I mean, those are the things that we've got to try to find more more opportunities for for kids. And I think um, we'll put a link in in the show notes to, to that Technovation Challenge, so people can can check on it that are listening in, so they can definitely see that and get involved. I just had we have a Skills USA. Um, I don't know if it's in Singapore or not, but it's this program that has all these competitions and we just launched a new robotic one. Um, and so we got it started in our state and then we had two teams and it was interesting. We get there and it's small. There's only maybe seven or eight schools in our particular division, but there was, it was all male, you know, like, like the only females were like, like the, uh, the two mothers that came to support our team in this whole room. And I'm just like, no, like, it's like, how do we get more? I mean, one thing is, it's exciting to get thing another platform started, but now it's like the goal is, okay, how do we start to get other people to see, you know, like girls and things and in that involved into this? And I think you hit on a key point is like, it's it's starting at a, at a younger age. And so where I see it like, I spent 14 years in a middle school, um, but I see even starting even before that of getting just that exposure to coding concepts and STEM concepts, you know in the elementary classroom it just where it becomes so natural that they don't even realize that it's just what what everybody does and so that's where I feel like like the hard part is is as we start to build this system so when they get to the high school to the AP classes and the computer science departments and you want that enrollment to, to pick up how do we start to create and we kind of talked about it a little bit already but like how do you get people to see the need for that when it's not a required standard? I feel like that's where the the the, the roadblock really is sitting right now is computer science standards. Most states don't have them. Um, um, and I'm not sure about other countries, so I can't speak to other countries. But I know in the state side, there's only maybe eight states that have required standards. Um, and if they do have them, some are just the they're, they're recommended standards. You don't even have to use them. They're just there for you as a guide. And so it's kind of like, you know, the only things that are important are, are, are what gets measured. How do we start to get people to see like how important this is? Um not that we need everybody to go into engineering, but just the thinking. You know, you you're you're a big big fan of you use the word the, the, the iteration process, which I love, um, that constant reworking, reworking and reworking kind of concept. How do we get that going? Um, and I guess I'm I'm drawing on here, but I guess the focus would be for the classroom teacher that sees the need for it but doesn't have the support, maybe the, the administration doesn't see the the importance of it, how could a classroom teacher listening in or trying to figure this out, reading books going, this is what I can do, I also still try to juggle the 40,000 other things that, that are currently <laughs> on the plate of all educators?
1: So, And that was actually a, a really good uh, question, and that was a big part of the book. So um, part of the reason as to why I self-published is because the book's kind of long, um, because there's a lot of information that doesn't exist like all in, a, in an all-in-one situation in other books necessarily. Right. Um, right. So the entire back of the book is all curriculum integrations um, and different ways of how you can have coding and computational thinking be integrated into the curriculum instead of it being its own, okay, we're doing an hour of code, but how about, hey, we're learning about geometry because we're in fourth grade. What's an angle? let's get on Scratch and you're going to write a program that defines an angle and having the kids explore that way because they're, they're not graded on it as soon as like they're introduced to it. And with coding, it gives them that, it gives them that computational thinking ability to like iterate, to create something and then to bring it back into the standards that they're actually assessed on and say, oh yeah, I, I can make that connection. Um, why it's super important to do things like that is because if you look at time, so right now we're in 2018, two years away from 2020, um, by 2030, the current kindergartners will be graduating from high school.
0: scary scary to think. I know,
1: (laughs) All of the digitization happening in the world between AR and VR and um, MR and AI and all of these different acronyms, right? Um, There's a lot of tech that goes into creating that. Now, this isn't to say that, like, we should be raising nothing but creators and they shouldn't be consuming, but they should, they as in our students and ourselves should at least understand what goes into creating, even if they're not the ones creating. Um, because if you know what goes into creating, it's like, you can be your own mechanic and your own fixer and either save a lot of money or understand how things work.
0: Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. It's, it's, it's so like, uh aha. Like, I mean, that's where the thing, like, I feel like if it's. It, people kind of have it as like, like it all in right like we're going to do this because everybody needs to learn how to code because that's the only way the jobs are going to be like well no that's 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 not true there's going to be some really good paying jobs and we 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 know that's going to be there but you still have to have all these other things happening for society to function but I love what you touched on there because we talk about a lot with with kids too is just like what are you interested in maybe you're interested in in, in the medical field well, do you realize how much tech and computer science is involved, you know, in an a, a operating room, you still have to have doctors, you still have to have nurses, you still have to have the human condition to make people feel at ease, but there are machines that do things that the humans just can't do. Um, with near precision and it's all because of code, you know, or, um, if you're, if you love sports, like how many, you know, universities are using sensors and tech and all their things to figure out if people are dehydrated or, you know, the, the, the sensor impacts and hel- football helmets, not for concussions. Like there, this is everywhere. And so it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. Like you have to realize that it's infused in everything that we do now. Like n- nothing is, 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 you know, I always say nothing's dumb anymore. There, is, there is a sensor laid somewhere, um, and if you understand that it's all kind of the same operation, really, what you just said—either you can troubleshoot yourself, or two, just realizing that those are opportunities because you might have that idea that could be the next thing that makes life better or saves lives or becomes your business model, or you, you just don't know. But you have to realize all these things are. They're, they're they're happening so fast, you know, and it's it's just being aware of that, and it's I feel like we've got this this disconnect where the world is moving so fast, and education like education always is moves so slow, you know, and it's like we, I feel like this divide is and it's not anybody's fault, it but it's the reality of we have to rethink our exposure to what we're doing with kids in the classroom, um, because we're we're going to be doing a disservice, you know, and I think that's that's really important. What 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 you touched on there, and so I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're, we're kind of getting closer to the the half hour mark, and I could just pick your brain on. I've got highlights all over. I mean, I just I just I've got I just, I just loved it. I love it, love it, love it. Um, so yeah. I could just sit here and talk hours for you. But as we kind of wrap this up, because I know you've got a life too. You know, for the people listening in and they, they, hopefully they've gained a lot of good things and we'll put all the links to things we've mentioned in the show notes and your book and all that, what are any tips or suggestions or ideas or any ideas that we didn't touch upon that you want to make sure you get a chance to uh, to, to, to share before we kind of bring
1: this to a close? Oh, wow. Um, and in a short amount of time, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> just ch- So I guess one thing is um, to be mindful and sometimes we get into teaching and we just get into these like um, zones where it's like, okay, this has to be done and here's this guidebook on how to do it and so I'm doing step by step and we don't have time to do this and this and this and this and I'm gonna call on the first hand that goes up. Um, Being aware of the impact that your decisions as an educator have on the students that you're educating, right? Um, Whether it's who you're calling on, how, how much time you're waiting for wait time, what you're doing when the tech doesn't work, um, and then understanding that like we are, we as educators are like 30% of a student's life or 33% of a student's life. Right? They're influenced by their local community, like their friends and their family. They're influenced by social media and different other medias. Um, and but they're with us three quarters or sorry one third of their awake time. So what is that impact that we want to have that maybe is not the same as what they're getting from social media and just television and things like that. Um so yeah just being mindful of that.
0: Yeah, I think and I think that's a great thing to think about. We kind of bring this to a close. I mean, we do have an opportunity to truly make an impact and I think sometimes we can get caught in that grind of some long days especially this time of year as as here in America we're down to under a month before school's out and it's just realizing you know every minute does count and and, you know we don't always they don't always acknowledge everything that they hear but they're but but they're taking it all in and, and we could really really be that catalyst that propels them to that next level um Unfortunately, we don't always get to see it in the now. Like we're, we're this instant, instantaneous society. We talk about it with our kids, but we're the same way with education. Like, you know, we can plant this seed, but we may not see it till we see them at a Starbucks in ten years. You know, or or whatever coffee shop still exists in ten years. Um, so I think that that's that's a great thing to kind of kind of wrap up on. Tara, if if people want to reach out to you and, and learn more about your work and what you're doing and and, and see that, what are the, the the best channels for them to uh, reach out and uh, learn more about you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm in the process of updating my website. It should be updated soon. Um, so that's just Um I'm also Tara on Twitter. And uh, those are probably the two most frequently checked sources.
0: Awesome. And we'll make sure yeah. we put those links here in the show notes that people can reach out. Tara, I can't uh, thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much for uh, uh, sharing with us. I hope the, the book sells like hotcakes and I uh, keep being the catalyst and the voice for, for this equity for, for females in coding and, and everyone else because it's it's definitely needed. And uh, thank you so much for uh, writing the book. Um, we need more of that. And uh, best of luck on your journey from Singapore to Paris and who knows where else you, you end up. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's so hard. awesome. <laughs> so thank you so much.
1: Thank you.